Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Good morning, everyone. Richard listens. Listeners, it has been a tremendous time of change, protest, expressing one's minds in the United States, and I'm proud to be here with you, whether you be uh, grieving or having come off a weekend of protesting, hopefully non-violently, or whether you be a business owner who suffered some damage and is picking up the pieces today. Uh, we are thankful and happy to be here and provide this podcast as a means for you to connect and listen with the greater world. Uh, again, I'm Richard Olberger. You can check me out on Instagram at Richard Listens. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm here to help you, your family members, and loved ones. If you need therapy or performance coaching or stress management going forward, check me out at richardlistens.com. Without further ado, my guest today is from the Brain Learning Center. She is Dr. Aaliyah Snyder. She is a sports neuropsychologist, and she's going to tell us about things she's doing to make dealing with concussions as well as brain health a topic for your health and your life. She works at UCLA and has a former competitor in the U.S. Uh, skeleton in trying to compete in international competition. Without further ado, we'll be welcoming in Dr. Aaliyah Snyder. All right, welcome to the Richard Listen Show, Dr. Aaliyah Snyder. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So is your hat telling us that you wish baseball would settle and get on with the season already? You know, that's one of the things that I think I miss the most is going to Dodgers games. My, my little girl loves it. She's little. She's like two, but she's so into Dodgers games. So I definitely, I miss it. That's a great age because you can carry them and they can't quite run far enough away from you yet. <laughs> yeah, no, not that she doesn't try. Not that she doesn't try. <laughs> I took my 10-year-old to a game last summer. It was actually something that we were planning post-quarantine to do a road trip and hit a bunch of stadiums. And last summer, we actually went to Arizona to the Diamondbacks. That's awesome. She's been going since she was four months old, and uh, she's been pretty into it. Not at four months, but we we wore her down. She's she's. That's fine. the way to create a sports family, right there. Yeah, yeah. So you are a sports neuropsychologist. It's mm -hmm. a mouthful. I'm sure you're going to explain to us, you know, all the functions and training that's gone into that. And you're also the founder director of the Brain Learning Center. Yeah. Yes, a lot of words, a lot of, a lot of big words. A lot of words, a lot of titles, um, but I'm really impressed with, uh, you know, through Instagram and, and through the quarantine, providing a lot of trainings, seem like Zoom talks, Q&As, a lot, a lot of reaching out to provide help to organizations. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what the focus has been and how this has been an opportunity for you. Yeah, thank you for, for noticing that. I mean, the, one of the things that we realized when COVID-19 started is that, you know, there's just the need for a lot of information out there and just kind of spaces to go and express the common frustrations that we're all having. And so the Brain Learning Center basically was born out of this experience that, you know, I spent so much time going to school, learning about the brain, uh, developing all these models based on research and realizing at the same time that even though working with patients most of the time, 
um, in the clinical sense that a lot of these concepts would just be helpful for everyone. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't get to the point where you have to have therapy to learn about how your brain works in a way that would help you in your everyday life. So the Brain Learning Center developed as a way to start to bridge that gap, you know, to bridge the gap between the experts in brain science and the experts in everyday life, which is you. And so we want to learn to help you harness your brain through classes, through interactive consultation and programs. And so we started doing these online programs. We did a series called Coping with COVID, where we cover different kind of stress models in the brain and how you can use that to kind of leverage it. So we decided to do some online workshops where we have a class series called Coping with COVID. And we talk about, you know, what are some models for how your brain responds to stress? And we really see stress as not something to be avoided, not something to be labeled as just toxic, but to really know that how is it activating and helpful in some situations versus hurtful in others. And so what we do is we break that down for you and we walk you through practical examples that you know span from eating habits to dealing with friends and family uh, to like just handling the Zoom burden. So we do a program on stress. We've done routine and sleep. Is that a clinical term now? The Zoom burden? I know I've heard Zoom fatigue. Zoom zombie. It's real. And I think there's some neat brain theories coming out about like attentional diversion. And I think there's really something too. And it helps you feel less like the only one dealing with it or that it's a personality flaw. And so that's what we're really about is trying to kind of release some of this shame and guilt that we all carry with us. We all think it's like just us. But in reality, a lot of it is set up by how your brain's structured. And, you know, it's helpful in some situations and again, hurtful in others. So our, our classes, we try to introduce new topics like that. We're you know, really big on mindfulness, but not just what is mindfulness and how do you practice it, but why you practice it. I think that's missing a lot from the conversation is how mindfulness actually does affect your brain and helps you kind of get into a more flexible mind space, not just for you know, everyday people, but also for everyday athletes as well. Yeah. And that's that's a good point because I've been, you know, hearing about mindfulness throughout my graduate training and beyond and you hear about it and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, slow down, take a breath, right? You know, I mean, is there, is there really a way to learn mindfulness until you have to apply it until you realize you're moving way too fast, you have Zoom fatigue, (laughs) you are Zoom burden. I mean, you're really at a level of, as an athlete, maybe where you're, you're going all the time, uh, plus school. You know, when when do when does it become clear that we need to practice or learn some mindfulness tools? Ideally, mindfulness is a way of living, in in my sense, um, and that sounds really overwhelming to think about that. But really, what it means is to be able to come back to some moments throughout your day where your attention and kind of your your thoughts going on are not so focused on future or on past, but are more present moment oriented. The example that I like to use a lot is, you know, think back when you were six. And when I was six, we had a window next to my bed and there were trees outside. And I remember I would just find myself getting lost, looking at those trees and watching the wind blow. And those moments were really like common when I was young. But as I got older, I started to lose them. I started to be thinking so much more in planning for what's coming up next, thinking about and analyzing what happened before. And that's really tempting. And our brain's kind of threat system tells us you need to be doing that because if you don't, you're going to be falling behind. And that's that feedback cycle going. But what we lose is those moments in between where our attention is just drifting in the present without judging what you're doing and having moments built in throughout your day where you're able to do that allows you to bring down your kind of overall stress levels to a place that allows you to be more flexible so that when you do need to do your planning and mobilize your resources to either you know practice something do homework or you know answer work emails that you're able to do that more flexibly and more effectively because you're just not operating at this really high level of noise and so mindfulness I think the way that it's packaged now is is great because it's trying to get people to practice it one it's it's bringing awareness to it but I think the next level of mindfulness is going to be how do we do this throughout our day when we're doing the dishes, just kind of allowing ourselves to sink into that very experiential moment where you're seeing how the, you know, just experiencing the temperature change of 
uh, like uh, the water on your fingers, the noises, and you're just present moment focused. And what's what's interesting is that there's some some research out there showing that different types of mindfulness practice may be helpful for different types of athletic skills. So there's something called focused attention mindfulness, and focused attention mindfulness is probably the one that most people are familiar with where you like pay attention to your breathing and you experience you know the sensations in your chest and you just kind of learn to take your attention inward and and think about that and focused attention mindfulness practice may be especially helpful for athletes who do what's called like more like closed environment skills like archery or um, like shooting or you know any kind of skills that's really you need to block out outside distractions and be very calm in yourself and in your body have a lot of top-down control i was gonna say that's a lot different than like a baseball player that while they're trying to take a breath there's also someone yelling you know hey you bum right (laughs) and then but there's like even within baseball there's moments where you may switch like if you're at bat you have to do a really good job of screening out everything that's going on and be really kind of attended to what the, the pitcher is doing, what the, the movements are, and kind of control all that extraneous arousal and stress in your body to make sure that you're connecting well. Versus the other kind of mindfulness, which is broadly categorized as open monitoring mindfulness. And that's where, you know, let's say that you're viewing a sunset and you're just allowing yourself to experience everything that's going on in the environment. That dishwashing example I gave might be considered like an open monitoring mindfulness approach where you kind of are, are, are passively observing everything that's going on and without judgment is one of the big pieces. And they say that that kind of mindfulness may be more helpful for, let's say when you're in the outfield or the infield in a baseball game or when you're especially like soccer and you have to be really kind of tightly attuned to all of the things that are moving in your environment and not too married to either one player. You know, your attention can't be stuck on, you know, one defender. Otherwise you're going to miss what's going on and be kind of less quick. So just understanding like, look, there's different types of mindfulness, different ways to do that. Also talk through some of the brain systems that are involved. We, we show you how doing mindfulness can impact how your brain functions, how different networks work together. And just to give a little bit of motivation and reasoning behind what we're saying because people will do mindfulness but if they understand why then they're going to take it to the next level and maybe be able to have it be something that's much more kind of important to who they are are you an athlete as well Uh, Mm -hmm. i'm always interested when we bring people on the show and covering their why you know to to pursue the high level of of education and now to be cutting from the cookie cutter approach and saying i want to bring this preventatively to to athletes especially young adults uh you know could you share a little bit how your own experience kind of prompted you on this journey sure i'm happy to and i feel like i hit a lot of different areas in sports development and kind of am a cautionary tale in and of myself in my like sports career but I started off as a competitive fencer in high school. I was nationally competitive, like ranked in the, in the top 20 for age groups and, and things like that. And, I, and like, that was my life. So you didn't want to care for dolls. You wanted to poke them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, baseball was my first sport. <laughs> I started playing baseball as a little kid and then they kicked girls off the baseball team. And no. My first little baseball <laughs> team was called the Dodgers. So that's probably why I'm also. This is before, yeah. uh, what was the Madonna and Gina Davis film? Oh, uh-huh. I loved that. League of their own people didn't know i like played baseball i played soccer and basketball and a lot of team sports and i really love them and then i i found fencing when i was like 13 12 something around there and got really competitive in that uh you know i lived like my weekends every day after school i was training um we moved to florida out like away from the club that i was originally at and i was traveling like five hours to atlanta every weekend to train and like that was just it was really intensely my life and i had a lot of anger management issues when I was a young athlete like it was all about winning and I did not tolerate it well if I lost or if I didn't feel like I performed my best um and you know unsurprisingly I burned out that way some of that from just being an individual sport was it like a little bit of the grudge like you're gonna kick me off the baseball diamond I'm gonna show you you know I came from like a military (laughs) family and so excellence was really emphasized which you know is good but at the same time you know my young mind had a lot of black or white thinking about it and I couldn't see the gray areas of like how just competing is a privilege and being able to experience 
camaraderie. I had great coaches, but it was, the emphasis was always about the, the winning and the, and the technique and, and skill and training, um, not necessarily about like the athlete as a whole person. So, you know, I turned down, I turned down scholarships, full ride scholarships for fencing because I burned out so hard. And then that, like my parents got divorced and I just kind of like shut down because I didn't have a lot of those skills to be able to weather that storm. So I said, okay, that's done. I'm going to go to college. It's a lot. It's really important, you know, for, for athletes out there that are, that are listening to this, right? If you lose the interest, if it's all pressure, if you're not having joy, and if the support system isn't there, I totally understand why you'd want to turn away from sports. Yeah, it was a source of pain and I was just winding myself up too much. Yeah, I said, and I really love surfing. Surfing was something that I always decided I was not allowed to compete in. That was like my thing that I had this rule about. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to surf. I'm going to go to the East Coast of Florida and I'm going to go to college and I'm just going to surf the whole time and finish school. But like I got there and then immediately joined the men's rowing team, which was way more intense than <laughs> a lot of the things, like a lot of the fencing stuff that I've been doing. But, but there the was sure wasn't internal it was like the challenge was external yeah and I wasn't you know I was coming to as a coxswain from the men's team I didn't know what I was doing so there was a level of you know I was able to make mistakes I still had a lot of pressure on myself I'm sure that caused kind of a, a steeper learning curve than there needed to be but I, it was a team environment and it was fun and even though everybody was working really hard it was the mission was broader than just me winning. So I was a varsity coxswain in my later years and our men's rowing team was actually is pretty good it's for this like little college in Florida. It's called Florida Tech um, and their men's program is like decently known in the rowing world. And so I decided after, you know, I did some research with neuropsychology when I was in college. We had a, an amazing, he's probably the first sports neuropsychologist I met, Frank Webby, and he introduced me to soccer heading research. They were looking at, you know, how kids who frequently had the ball and, you know, is that a risk for cognitive difficulties and behavioral things? So I just, you know, I was very peripherally involved, just kind of like entering data or having people sign forms. But this um, is really important research now because yeah. you're changing so many rules about the ages that you can head the ball. Mm -hmm. And then when you watch it, implemented you see all these other potential injuries because people are trying not to use the head so yeah. that is really important uh in terms of concussion research and understanding which kids are more likely to head the ball and there's um so he was doing that work and and he was a wonderful mentor and he was my first intro to how the brain works in terms of behavior and neuropsychology is this. It is the overlap between the brain and then what comes out of it. So how does you know, attention, learning, memory, visual spatial functioning, processing speed, motor speed, we do assessments of that to help understand kind of the underlying functioning of the brain and then also help people understand how to work with that in their own lives. Um, usually in the case of uh, mental disorder or like a neurological disorder. That's usually where neuropsychologists um, work. But uh, you know, Dr. Webby kind of spanned, he worked, he worked with a lot of athletes too. So that was my first intro. And then I went on to coach rowing for a couple years after college. And while I was coaching, I got involved with skeleton. And that is kind of how my whole journey that really went into neuropsychology started. People who come to skeleton come to skeleton after college. And skeleton, for people who don't know, is it's like bobsled or it's like luge, but it's that third sport that your mom tells you not to do where you go head first. <laughs> it feels like flying and it's amazing. And, and, and you know, I, when I was younger, I was really interested in kind of like testing my limits, seeing what I could do. And skeleton just seemed like an amazing adventure. And it definitely was. So I competed actually for the Israeli national team. I was their first female skeleton athlete and I complete, competed for a couple of years. But during that time, I kept getting concussions. And this is 2008, 2009, when the concussion conversation was right about to explode, not until after. And so the way that the concussions were dealt with, which it was very much in the culture, it's like everybody's concussed, you just keep going. So I internalized that and just kept going against my better judgment. Like I was having a lot of symptoms on and off the ice and 
really struggling, but I just kept going until I think after my seventh concussion, it became really clear that I, I couldn't. And so I went to see a doctor and she said, look, you can keep sliding and you'll probably keep getting these concussions or, you know, I recommend that you, you stop. So I listened to her. Younger athletes out there, what kind of symptoms were you experiencing and, and were trainers listening? Were they not aware? <laughs> like, what can you do if you're a young athlete and you're having this similar experience. And, you know, I don't want to bash the trainers, but they did not understand um, what was going on. They told me like I had a trauma headache and they'd sit me out for maybe like half a day or one practice. And there's no such thing as a trauma headache. That's probably a concussion if, you know, unless you have like a migraine process. So what was happening is I was having, I was just feeling really out of it after my runs. A lot of my symptoms wouldn't peak until the day after, and I'd feel really woozy. I'd feel really dizzy. I'd be nauseous. I'd have a lot of headaches. I'd have a lot of light and sound sensitivity. And I'd have these periods when I just kind of like blanked out. Um, I was just kind of unfocused, like my attention just got lost and people would be have to be like, hey, Aaliyah, where'd you go? And it's not like a, a seizure or anything. It's just, it was like an attentional disconnect. Um, this is while wearing a helmet, right? Yes. But like when I was on the, the track, you're going 76 miles an hour at some points head first, my face would be bruised through my helmet, uh, even though it is a full face mask. It's just the the impacts that you take, especially if you're an early beginner slider, are pretty hard. You know, these periods were lasting longer and longer, and I was starting to have trouble with like balance. And I just wasn't coming back to baseline because I wasn't allowing myself time. It was just continuing to train through, which is a lot of what we see in the clinic that I work at, is athletes continuing to train through these injuries, which is one of the biggest recipes for continuing the recovery, like to extending the recovery timelines. So I came home, I went back to Florida. I went back and lived with my mom as like a 24 year old, which wasn't my favorite thing, but like my mom's amazing, but I was really struggling. And I think a lot of it was the mismanagement from doctors. Uh, nobody really knew. They were just like, oh, it's all in your head at this point which, you know, of course the brain's in your head. They, they chalked it mostly up to psychological factors, but without helping me understand what those might be. And, you know, looking back, I think what ha happened is I had developed uh, like a form of post-traumatic migraine that wasn't necessarily from the concussion. Well, that was like triggered by the concussions, but the length of it had more to do with like this tr like migraine process that had been triggered by the injuries but have such overlapping systems that like the symptoms are very similar, like headache, fogginess, co like cognitive difficulties. And the stress and anxiety about those continued symptoms also caused them to continue themselves. Like we're talking for almost a year and a half, probably longer. My headaches stopped, I think around two or three years afterwards, but it took a really long time. That's really, really painful and isolating. And it sounds like these are the exact types of scenarios you're trying to address through both your work at UCLA and then the Brain Learning Center is mm -hmm. athletes having these symptoms and then the surrounding anxiety, frustration, isolation around what am I going through? Like, how do I prevent these symptoms? how do I handle this? What does this mean for me as an athlete? Exactly. And the injury itself, we think anxiety and stress, we think about something that's like fully in our control. Um, and that's true to a certain extent, but the injury itself, the concussion destabilizes your higher level networks that control anxiety, that like help you manage threat and anxiety. So the injury itself, and they show this in humans and also in animal models, kind of undoes that network for a little while. So things that would be like normally a little bit stressful just from a processing perspective, like riding in the car, after concussion, the overwhelmingness of that from because maybe symptoms or whatever, it enhances the stress provocation of that event. Or going to school is always a little bit stressful, maybe not to a point where you like would want to avoid it, but there's an amount of stress and arousal that's associated with going to school. And if you couple that with having symptoms while you're doing that, plus the overall network that kind of says, hey, you're okay, this is fine, that system's not working that well because of in the acute phase of injury, then what happens is you can be set up, and in some cases we think this might be happening, that that anxiety system is just like out of whack and doesn't come back to normal very well without specific training. And I think I was one of those. I was somebody that needed some like aerobic reconditioning and some help with that autonomic nervous system to reset it. 
either because of the number of injuries I had, the stress of those injuries, not recovering well from them. And that's kind of where, you know, my research at, at UCLA and a lot of you know, the program there is, is focused on how can we help kids and athletes reset that nervous system that might be also affecting the persistent symptoms. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym, others may run, but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports, all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens. And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. This is really important. I mean, I know, I, I don't know if it's exactly tied together, but they take a look at, you know, studies of kids with ADHD and they look at the classroom and people are all over the place and throwing things at each other and then they put them on like an exercise bike. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, you know, studies about violence in schools and then they put them on the bike and everyone is calm and, and, and you know, kind of sitting and able to focus their attention uh, throughout a, a class period. So say more about that because we understand, right, your nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, the one that tells it's okay okay uh, to be in balance and relaxed mm -hmm. how do you recondition that gone through concussions and your your stress response is heightened yeah so it's important to understand what those two branches are so you have the sympathetic nervous system which is your activating branch or the one that on the very extreme end like results in fight flight or freeze and it's adaptive you need it if you want to like play a sports game you better have a sympathetic nervous system that's ready to go because otherwise you're not going to be alert you're not going to be on your game those like in the moment like flash decisions that you have to make from a ball coming to you that it's almost like under your subconscious mind that you're catching it that is part of sympathetic nervous system activation. But you know, you also need to be able to come down and give that system a break. You only have so many resources. And so that's the parasympathetic. That's you know, parachuting down from stress. And with concussion, one of the theories out there is that, like I mentioned before, like your sympathetic nervous system can be really, really activated just by the injury itself because your brain is on overload trying to do all this neurochemical repair, you know, it's, its resources are tapped out. And so, you know, the sympathetic nervous system is elevated and it's just kind of a mess for, you know, definitely the first 48 hours up to a week or, or two weeks afterwards. And there's things that are resolving. But for some people, like probably me, you know, that sympathetic nervous system remains active or overactive. So, you know, let's say that you're just going along your day and you have symptoms, the sympathetic nervous system responds to pain. So you have a headache. So all of a sudden your, your sympathetic nervous system is jumping. And if it keeps jumping in response to pain or, you know, having to make a stressful life decision or just navigating in traffic that's stressful, your sympathetic system is either overactivated, so it's jumping higher than it should be, but then over time, what happens is your parasympathetic nervous system, the one that brings you down from stress, gets worn out, gets burned out. And we see this in anxiety conditions like panic disorder. We see this in other types of disorders uh, that have kind of a nervous system component that it just, it doesn't do a good job of bringing you back down. And that imbalance in systems is like having, you know, your foot on the gas pedal a little bit. You know, you're constantly running the motor and that wears you down and leads to inflammation, leads to chronic difficulties and symptoms just like headache and dizziness and blurry vision that mimic the concussion itself. This is where the disconnect occurs, right? Where a lot of addiction and, you know, opiate, different things like that, right? To try and people are kind of pulling that lever to try and force the parasympathetic nervous system back online 
because they don't know how to access the retraining. Yeah. And so one of the things that we're, we're working on at UCLA is being able to use something called capnometry assisted respiratory training, uh, CART, horribly long. But basically what we use is we have this device that shows you what your gas output in your breath is. So carbon dioxide, oxygen, how many breaths per minute you're taking and what your pulse rate is. It shows you all those things. And we use this as a biofeedback device which means you get information about what you're doing in real time. And then you get to practice that top-down control of bringing that nervous system down. So this, this could go a lot of different ways, but basically you get to train your, your breathing system, which is one of the only surefire ways into the nervous system that we have. One of the best techniques to kind of encourage parasympathetic activity is through breathing, things like yoga, mindfulness is another one. You know, you get some concrete numbers. You don't have to just like try to deep breathe, um, but you get some feedback there. And then we also couple that with information about symptoms, about the nervous system, and try to empower people to start to get back to things that they're maybe they've been avoiding because of how bad their symptoms are and address at least that component of the injury process. And how can athletes in general track the quality of their breath? I mean, is the cart something that'll be more readily available for teams or? Something I would love to bring to everyone. And with the Brain Learning Center, eventually we'd like to have like a studio space where you can come and we'll have the capnometers which are the you know the devices there where you can practice biofeedback you can practice other ways of you know getting into the parasympathetic system through like heart rate monitoring and heart rate variability there's already some technologies out there that um, heart math is one of them that allows you to kind of practice that top-down control but you know just Doing a slow breathing exercise is a way that you can do it without the numbers. So most of the research that shows what's the best for activating parasympathetic relaxation, like a, a 10 second breath where you take maybe in for four seconds and then out for six seconds. But yeah, it'd be nice to have some kind of tech around that to be able to kind of reassure yourself that you're doing it right or to get some in the moment feedback. And so like, that's one of my longer term goals is to try to bring that to mainstream. And actually I'm developing a program with one of the clinics I work for out in LA. I work for this program called the integrated clinic where I do like cognitive rehabilitation and things like that. We're using the capnometer as a way to help people also kind of recondition some of this nervous system element. So if they have chronic pain, if they had strokes, if they had a wide variety of medical conditions, um, they can also work on the breathing component to just, you know, take a chip out of the kind of stress-related components of whatever they're going through. And I use it like in daily. It's good for everyone. My husband, I train him to do it, you know, just to have better top-down control over his a good tool when you're having an argument here, honey, you need to calm yeah. down. But it's pretty simple. I clip to your ear and to a finger. And I find in my work with athletes, right, they, they really respond to the visual, being able to see on the screen, uh, mm -hmm. the pacer, and being able to see, you know, that you have an influence over regulating your breath and the relationship yeah. between your breath and stress. Right. That's one of the things we're really interested in. But we, we actually did a, a class on breathing for stress reduction through the Brain Learning Center, and we'll probably re-release that one again. But we're starting to bring some of these concepts and try to extend them more to the sports world in, you know, through, through a different lens, through more of this kind of like brain science lens, um, understanding how that, that stress regulation system works how it works differently in different situations, how you can use breathing to kind of optimize your stress levels for game day or during, during a race or during, like, uh, during a game itself. Um, so I think there's a lot of extension and that's where we're really hoping to kind of take the next step with the Brain Learning Center is work on some of this performance piece as well. That's incredible. And so are these classes going to be available online? I mean, was this your intention all along to have a, a physical space and an online space? And how has the quarantine, you know, reshaped your vision? Yeah, originally we were 
just going to do a physical space um, where it would be kind of like like a, a fitness studio, but where you'd come in to work on this these mental aspects of kind of of your life. You know, you could come in, take a class, and learn how your attention system works and what are some ways to maximize that at school, at work, and then you could practice it there too and do biofeedback. It would be this all kind of inclusive space. But you know, COVID really changed our goals, and that was pretty early on in the process. So we've now switched to fully online. I think it'll be a little while before we actually have a physical space. I, I love that we've actually been able to do these online classes because we've been able to reach people across the world. We've had people from South Africa come and, and Australia. It's been amazing. Um, so we release classes. Um, we usually have one or two classes a month, but the, the thing that might be of most interest to your audience is that uh, every month, we're now starting the Brain Learning Center's Mental Power Hour. And we're taking like one of these concepts. So this month, we're going to explore stress and performance curves a little more. And then we're having an athlete come in and talk about their personal experiences related to that concept. So this month, we have one of the U.S. Water Polo national team members, Matt Farmer. He um, is coming and he's an amazing proponent of sports psychology and working on your mental game. And he's going to be kind of reflecting some of these concepts in a real life way. So every month we'll be doing the mental power hour and um, you, know, you can sign up on Eventbrite uh, and see what else we have running. We have a, a mindfulness class that we release on Instagram every week. So it's like a 30 minute bite of mindfulness practice. And every week we do something a little bit different. So one of our mutual friends, Belden Long, she's part of our team. She's unbelievable. It was recorded on Instagram? Yeah, well, so we, we haven't released that one yet, but she, mm -hmm. she did it live on the Instagram live. And then um, we add the subtitles to it and we'll release it. So that'll be available. It's okay. Then... You can promote your team members. I mean, a former yeah. <laughs> national champion with UCLA soccer and a, mm -hmm. a great role model and a yoga instructor and a, a member of the Brain Learning Center team. So uh, that's incredible. We've got some amazing people that are working with us on this grassroots kind of level. We have a neuropsychologist who has worked with Operation Mend and Wounded Warrior. Uh, so she's got a lot of trauma experience. And we have an ultra marathon runner who is also very into outdoor education and exercise therapy. Um, two of our team members have, actually three of our team members have yoga certifications. And so it's people who are really passionate about activity, sports activity, but also, you know, learning about your brain and using that to take it to the next level. So we've got some great people. Times have changed the way the delivery is happening, but the quality is there and the importance of this message right now. Why the focus on uh, younger people, right? What, is, it, is it to reach people like yourself? Um, and what's being done at the professional levels? I think the effort at reaching younger people really stems from the rise in anxiety and depression that's been shown to just be kind of exponentially increasing, especially in the kind of 16, 17 year old age group. So if you look at anxiety and depression rates over, it's kind of getting worse for everyone, but for these 16, 17 year olds, like the line just kind of jumps compared to all other age groups. And that's, that's scary to me. And also I think just having therapy services is not going to be the answer. I love therapy. I feel like the Brain Learning Center is maybe giving you a taste of some of the language that's used in therapy. It's not a therapy center, but maybe it can be kind of a platform for people to seek to improve these things more if they need it in their own lives. It also is born out of one, seeing these jumps in mood disorders, and then two, working with kids in the clinic and realizing, and they, they're under so much pressure, and they and a lot of them don't have you know some of the coping skills that they need to deal with the unique modern pressures that that they're all under Co college is so competitive um you know even and, and just like the general stress environment of the world with kind of you know, racism and fears about what's going on so just to start getting language like kids to be familiar with language and to know like you're not stupid if you make a mistake and that's something called a labeling thinking trap and here's why your brain is going to do that you know we we talk a lot about thinking traps in in the brain learning center as these are automatic shortcuts that your brain takes and they're really helpful in some situations so you know if like a car is coming and you're in the street you want to be able to immediately jump out of the way and that's a shortcut that your brain has that it takes automatically 
or you know, if you're in the woods and you hear a twig snap, you wanna be on high alert and think, oh, there's some danger coming because it's adaptive to do so. But if you put a kid in you know, a math class and they're struggling and they don't get something immediately, you don't want a thinking trap to be automatically going to, I'm stupid, I'm not good at math. But that's where a lot of people go, um, either culturally, uh, because of the you know, unique language that we use around pressure and kind of talent, being innately good at something. And so we wanted to start to open that conversation up younger and be able to maybe start talking with some of these kids about the ingredients that underlie mood disorders. And they all exist on a spectrum, right? It's not like depression is something that we probably all experience. We have depressive thoughts and feelings and symptoms at different times in our life. And it's how overwhelming do they get? How well do we think we can cope with them? And those are really what you know, will make somebody resilient over time. And so that's kind of where the Brain Learning Center were hoping to be maybe that first entry or uh, an amplifying voice in those common ingredients that you can use to cope and build resilience in your life. Flip side is, right, the brain at that age is changing so much, the, the capacities for growth. So if we can kind of hardwire in some positive habits, right, mm-hmm. and, and shortcut some of these traps, which can which can be like harmful. And, you know, if we shut down always when we perceive a threat, well, nowadays in this high-paced society, right, there's, there's constant threats, even coming from social media, you know, so much information. I think that Peter Levine calls it in Somatic Experience, you know, inhibit the inhibitory response, uh-huh. right? Because, right, in nature, right, you can, you could see that there's a snake or it's just a twig and then you can kind of keep walking along the prairie and see the mountain view and realize let your system quickly shifts back to the parasympathetic, but we're, you know, in a competitive environment or in a classroom where it's constantly about achievement or winning in a sports team, right? It's, it can be really detrimental if we don't know where that next place to draw upon the parasympathetic response is. Mm -hmm. It'd be great for us to have as, you know, a society, this idea that, mental health fitness is something that you can build just like your exercise fitness. You know, it's something that's worth investing in no matter who you are. You don't have to be quote unquote depressed or quote unquote anxious to learn more about your brain systems and how they work so that, you know, when you're 30 and something really terrible in your life happens, you're not just hit out of the blue with, oh my gosh, I need to figure out how to cope differently, that everything that's worked up until now is not working now. Now you have a much wider depth of experience about what your brain needs to get you through like the death of a parent, the death of a child, something really tragic, um, and to know when to need help and when and what kinds of resources to use. And so I, I'm hoping that the Brain Learning Center can at least maybe start to reprogram some of those ideas that mental health is a, an active effort. It's not something we're just born with. It's something that changes throughout your life and there's skills to be built and skills to be practiced. Really, really empowering message. And obviously, you know, like how to, you know, getting this out to the masses and doing so through the online medium. Uh, what's what's next um, as we shift hopefully out of quarantine, but still navigate these, these kind of trying times? Uh, you mentioned diversity. We faced uh, at the time of this recording a week of mm-hmm. protests and tremendous conflict over um, equality in our country. Uh, how do we reach, you know, the sporting populations in diverse areas and, and bring this information uh, global? Yeah, I think that's a, an area that we've all really fallen behind on and an area that needs needs a lot of conversation both internally and then within our, our communities. Um, one of the things that we are going to try to do is we're going to be releasing a class or like a workshop program every month Um, based on current event topics and trying to help people understand them maybe in the light of how your brain is functioning. And our first one is going to be about racism, the neuroscience of racism. And there's been some amazing work that's already been done. uh, But I think the conversation about that needs to be louder and ongoing. We are built with this threat system that sees anything that's different than ourselves as again, threatening as stress provoking. And that is a feature of our brain. And we have to actively work to understand how that's influencing us in all these different situations, especially when it comes to, in America, especially, you know, 
perceiving black people. Uh, and to me, police violence is very understandable in this context of their brains are on higher threat alert because black people look different. There's been a constant narrative of, you know, black threat and stereotyping, uh, especially of black males as being, you know, all these horrible things. And that's been a constant dialogue in our culture for a long time, boiling under the surface or even more overtly. And so understanding that those types of things are written into the networks of all white Americans' brains, and that that will just enhance the stress response in those clutch moments when somebody's life is at stake or when a police officer feels threatened. And if we can learn about those, then that's going to, one, bring knowledge of it out from the amygdala and threat circuitry into the prefrontal cortex, which is your CEO, which is your place that's more rational, that says when that twig snaps, oh, that's not, you know, that's not a bear. It's going to be that place that says, oh, I'm reacting more anxiously because this is a black man or a black woman. And it puts it into a place of more control. I need to check my internal responses. And if we can learn about that, then hopefully we can understand much more about, you know, our underlying systemic racism. So that's our first goal. Amazing how you broke that down. Yeah, it really is, right? You know, one of my gentlemen, we're releasing our panel for retired athletes and former, you know, he's a black athlete. He said he's, I think, thinking about putting out a podcast called Dear White People, you know, uh, kind of just explaining some of these things that, that about privilege and about the ways that are unconsciously built in and and not to shame people there is some reason why historically when you lived in a out in the in the, in the woods and in, in, in society that you wanted to stay with those that you felt were from your little tribe that somehow you identify safety yeah. the safety mechanism a lot of what simon sinek does on culture and building your tribe it's really important but along the same lines are all the things that were built in that that were not healthy and now we know that right in the global world you could be you know more similar to someone who lives uh and speaks a different language and lives on a different part of the globe and was raised completely differently than you are sometimes to people from your own neighborhood absolutely and it's because you have a smoke alarm built into your brain that doesn't follow any logic and is not politically correct and doesn't follow it and we have to acknowledge that we have to know that our amygdala network, our limbic emotional system is going to fire at anything and everything. That's its job. You know, if you hear your name across a crowded room, your amygdala fires a little bit. It said, oh, be alert. But it works against our community. It works against Black people in particular um, because there are ways that it's framed. You know, it just if you look at a CEO, if you look at a boardroom and you see all white faces and then you see somebody of, of color, your amygdala is going to fire differently just because it's a different type of, you know, it's just, it looks different. And we need to own that. And, you know, we need to, to arm ourselves with that knowledge so that we can be responsible for how that changes our behaviors, because uh, it does. Wealth of knowledge and information, Dr. Snyder. Uh, I feel like we could uh, do a few part mini series right here and you'd be ready. Um, <laughs> if your dog would allow it. Um, no. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us a little bit in closing uh, how people can reach you and uh, stay in touch. Yeah. I, uh, thank you for offering this platform to talk about these things. And um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the Brain Learning Center, we have our website, www.thebrainlearningcenter.com. Um, we do uh, a lot on Instagram. So, you know, following us there. And uh, that's kind of where we release kind of our up and coming things. Our Eventbrite, so all of our online Signups can be done through Eventbrite, which you can access through the website or you can access through Instagram too. So those are the best ways to get a hold of us and, and keep an eye on what we're doing. We've got new things coming up, a lot of online classes, hopefully in person one of these days as well. Well, it's a real pleasure and the opportunities uh, to use Instagram for any of you out there, monthly uh, topic that's available and things that are relevant to current events that are going on. I think this way of adapting is truly profound. I encourage you to uh, take a look at the Brain Learning Center, both from learning about, we covered, you know, mindfulness, regulating your breathing, some really important self-regulation strategies, whether or not you've been injured or not. But if you have gone through a concussion or suspect maybe that one of your players as a coach has perhaps some of these symptoms or is just stressed around re-injury, 
this can be a great time right now. Like we talked about the reinvention, the reconnection to yourself. Maybe if you connect to yourself as an athlete in a healthier way, you don't have to go through burnout. Or maybe, you know, you discover a, a new sport that you relate to and it, with a lot more of the joy and passion that uh, Dr. Snyder shows today. Well, thank you again for being with us and uh, we're grateful to you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, everyone. Well, that was a real treat and treasure, everyone. If you're just uh, first now learning about the nervous system, the Brain Learning Center, about breathing, breath work, regulation emotionally, uh, I hope you really enjoyed and connected to some of the resources we're bringing forward to you. Again, I'm Richard Listens at Instagram, Richard Listens, or patreon.com slash Richard Listens for advanced content. Please, please, please reach out, support the show. Every dollar keeps us afloat, keeps us growing, and hopefully look out for or more on as we close 2020 on the Richard Listens Crossing the Threshold book coming out soon to you. Uh, again, I hope we covered important concepts, including there uh, the last segment on importance between you know race uh, recognition and uh, understanding your brain. And there's no shame in exploring and doing that learning right now. We all have to start somewhere. And so we hope your first step is with us. Take care, everybody. I'm Richard Listens. And we're out. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.